Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome back, fight fans, to the big fight reaction to Josh Warrington's victory over Kiko Martinez this weekend. We've got all the breakdown of this particular fight, that card, and all the other cards across the weekend. Of course, we had Richard Riakpour getting a great victory over Dion Juma over the weekend. Tim Zhu over in America coming out. That was his coming out party. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Troy Williamson, Mason Cartwright, another potential fight of the year right there. And we're going to bring a new segment to this show as well, the three-minute moan. We've got to bring a three-minute moan. We're always griping about summer in these episodes whether it's judges scorecards whether it's out of shape xboxes coming back for exhibition bouts we're going to have this three minute morning our reaction shows pretty much for uh, every 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 week every big fight preview we do for the reaction we'll do a three minute moan how about that guys that'll be a great one i'm pretty sure yeah you'll be sat there having a good laugh at it and and, and probably agreeing with some of it maybe not but Hey, this is what it's all about. It's having an opinion. It's having a great laugh. And, and we'll get into our main element of the show now on our serious note and talk about Josh Warrington's victory over the weekend then, Johnston. So I'm going to hand this over to you first and foremost. We we got some of que- some of our questions answered from the weekend. I think we've we, we seen that he had the ability to stop Kiko Martinez. And I said... That he wouldn't. And I was quite adamant that he wouldn't. And I know I was quite contradictory in my preview about maybe he could finish him. But after that first round, I was like, I'm literally going to have to go and find a cap out of my bedroom and sit there and eat it live on the podcast, like chew on it. Because I think I'm pretty sure I said something along the lines of, I'll eat my hat if he doesn't, if he, if he stops him this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, to be honest, I, I think we both 
I didn't I didn't expect it. I think I think there was a lot of problems with Kiko. I mean, the fact is, is that Warren had started. It was a blistering start from him, and uh, the cuts obviously influenced Kiko Martinez. I mean, the fight probably could have gone on. To be fair, um, I mean, there was sustained pressure from Warren and. Uh, in bursts, he, he, it was a great start to say. The first two rounds, he was he, he come out of the blocks really fast, put Kiko down in that first round. But I mean, the fact is, I mean, he had three cuts on him. I think two of them from from the head as well. He really goes in with the head, then he warrant and and I sort of felt a bit sorry for Kiko. You could see he was getting annoyed with it and sort of punching late as well at the break, didn't he? Um, because he was so frustrated. But I mean, look, Warrington deserved the victory and the referee I'm not going to knock the referee for stopping it I think Marcus McDonald I think it was fair enough you know that it was a a, a consistent a blistering combination really head and body and Kiko wasn't throwing anything back but um, look, I think um, I think we, sh- we did mention the fact that is age going to catch up with Kiko and I think it slightly did I think we see that any sustained pressure it just it just couldn't cope with it and he, he tried to throw that right hand that he caught Galahad with probably a bit too often and just one single shots and and, and I think he was looking for it a bit too much um, and Warrington to to his credit um, fought on he got hurt he did get hurt and, and the one problem we had with this whole thing was the jaw and um, and it has crept up again after this fight I think that's what we probably should speak about is the fact that is it a suffered he has suffered another broken jaw basically another hairline fracture. Um, so that hasn't quite repaired itself since Lara. It's always going to be a problem for Warren. But credit to him, he's hurt, he's hurt his jaw, he's carried on and he's he's got the victory. And, you know, he's calling for an away day at City Ground. I mean, we're going to that as well after. But um, I think he's more than happy to be looking at Lee Wood fight next rather than Lara. Well, there's a few pointers here for me with this fight. The first one is, is you mentioned the head. Josh Warrington, he used that head a little bit too much for me in this fight more than what I think I've seen him do before now I know there's some fighters that have that style and I know people always complained about Ricky Hatton's style because he had a similar style where he'd use that head and his shoulders a lot but I kind of felt like Warrington used too much of it and he weren't chastised for it and that was one thing that bothered me a lot I don't think Marcus McDonald chastised him enough I think there was one occasion maybe two at best where I sort of saw him mention about the head but the fact that there were two cuts, you know, one over each eye, to me, indicated that that head was being used way, way too much. And from there on, I think that's where Kiko Martinez, the game plan that he had, I think, went out of the window. First of all, because he got caught cold with a blistering combination. And secondly, because he got cut quite early on and the head was going in far too often for my liking. That being said... Josh Warrington did come out and he did throw combinations, which we talked about in the preview. We talked about him mixing it up and using the head, using the body. And I noticed he got some really good body shots in throughout the course of them seven rounds of the fight. And, you know, I'm not going to take any credit away from Josh because he has come back and he has answered a couple of questions there in, in this outing. But one of them was about, can he take the punch? How is his jaw going to hold up? And unfortunately, again, like you say, he's fractured it. He's had surgery for it now, and he's recovering from that surgery. But I'm concerned about how this will affect him going forward now. Like he is now the IBF champion again for a second time. Great victory for him. Great victory. Emphatic stoppage. Emphatic throughout the fight. But surely, from a, from a mental standpoint... 
you're going to go into all your fights going forward now thinking about this, thinking about the fact that is Maggiore going to go ho- go hold up? And, and, and I think that's something I'd personally, personally always be thinking about. I know when we look at comparisons, we look at how fighters have been affected by certain injuries over the career. And Kel Brook stands out a mile to me because of that orbital bone fracture. He had it on one side against Triple G and then the other side against Errol Spence. And he was never really the same after that. And I never felt like he, he engaged as much as maybe what he once did. Is Warrington going to be able to st- sustain this this style? Is he going to be able to sustain it throughout his career with him having this issue with his jaw and being susceptible to his jaw breaking? Uh, this is something I've thought about for the last couple of days since the fight. And I'm thinking, yeah, this Lee Wood fight, as we've mentioned many times, looks fantastic. But... You know, is there a risk that this is going to happen once again in that particular fight? Should that happen? That's that's the biggest takeaway from me now. He's like, yeah, he's got the great victory. He's the IBF champion again for a second time. It looks like he's lining this Lee Wood fight up, but straight away, I think, is he going to have to really put the put the pace up very early on in a fight to try and ascertain a lead or or stop a fight because he's going to be susceptible to taking you know, shots on that jaw, which could potentially break again. Or is he just going to have to tighten up and stop taking too many punches? That would be the obvious thing, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. And that's stop defending with your face. Um, I don't think Josh is going to do that. He wants to get in a tear-up. And I, I mean, those first two rounds, he was in control. And I do think that Kiko landed. I think it, it might... It, I, I'm watching it back. I'm sort of trying to figure out when it happened because I haven't actually seen anything that's specifies when he felt it but I think it was around that sort of in that second round because he started using pot shots from then on just single shots which were working don't get me wrong um I felt that he needed to just sort of double them up a little bit at least uh threes and fours and then he would do that and then he would use the one shot again I think clearly the jaw was affected quite early and then um and Kika, I think, probably sensed it because of the cuts. I mean, two cuts over there, a cut on the forehead as well. Two of them were definitely from head, from headbutts. I mean, I say headbutts, it's because he led with his head. But the one in bet- on the top of the head was a bit of a wrong on that because he, as he went in, you could see he's got his head down. He's he's felt Kiko's head and then pushed his head up. And I thought that was that was a bit naughty. That I think he got a bit dirty in there, on my honest opinion. Um, not. Whether he meant to do it, I don't know. If he's just sort of trying to feel his way in with his head, but yeah, I weren't impressed with that. I didn't like that, and I did. I have to admit, I did feel sorry for Kiko, and I do. I do sort of feel like he could have probably carried on. Um, but yeah, I mean, the jaws and are going to be an issue for Warrington, hundred percent. I mean, Lee Wood, if he gets that Lee Wood fight in the city, I mean, it's going to have to be another. You're going to have to at least have six months out. There's no way he can be looking at coming back in three months because that jaw will pop up again. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting. And if he has the same style that he fought against Kiko Martinez against Lee Wood, I do worry for Josh. I think that he's, I, I honestly feel that Josh Warrington's style is suited for Lee Wood. I think Lee Wood would prefer a, a, a come forward fighter because I think he fights well that way. And I think he's a, he's a big lad. He can hit hard and, and yeah, that'd be a huge worry. And if he decides to go Vegas and take on Lara, as Eddie mentioned, I worry for him there as well against Lara. So he's going to need a bit of time. Really take a bit of recovery and then look at those those two fights in particular and see which ones he wants to decide or what Eddie decides. 
Well, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell, really, with this particular fight and the the aftermath of it, and of course the the potential fights in the future. We've we've spoke about on a couple of occasions, so I won't hang around too much because we've got a lot to cover for this episode. And yeah. on the undercard of this particular fight, we had Maxi Hughes and Ryan Walsh, and we had a good discussion about that in the preview for this particular fight. And we said it was a it was a crossroads fight, and we knew that if Ryan Walsh wasn't able to to win this fight, I think it was, for me, game over, and he wasn't able to win the fight. Maxi Hughes looked really good. Maxi Hughes is, is one of the most improved fighters in the UK. I think he surely has to take that mantelpiece at the moment of one of the most improved in the UK, if not the most improved, because he's been on this six-fight run now where he's just stepping up a level after a level after a level, and now he's got the IBO title he's defended it successfully against Ryan Walsh and I think now I'd be looking at stepping up even further and testing yourself I'm not saying that he's going to be a world beater I don't I don't think that he's in a very very difficult division remembering the fact that he's in the lightweight division and stepping up for him would make him a lot of money stepping up for him would test him at the highest level so if I was Maxi of course I'd want to do it absolutely 100% I'd want to give it a go however Anybody at the top end of the lightweight division, I think they all beat him. That's just my opinion. For Ryan, I think it's game over at this level now. I think it's... it's. What else can you do now in your career? I mean, he's, he's been great domestically as a domestic fighter, but I can't see him going any further. So what do you do now at this point of your career? Do you step back down? Do you look for fights domestically with other fighters around the division that you could have some, some well-paid... Percy's from or at 33 or 35 should I say do you call it a day because he is he's 35 what what do you do now I mean this is what I'm sort of trying to get get at with him is do you carry on or do you just call it a day for me I think he just he needs to call it a day that's just me speaking personally I don't know where he is financially because the finance of it could make him stay in the game a little bit longer and in the sport longer to get a couple of more paydays from it. But personally, at this point, having tried to achieve more than what he's previously achieved and not being able to do it, I'd be looking at stepping back. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think so. I, I, honestly, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see the point in sticking around unless, as you say, financially, what's his situation? So you know, it always comes down to that, doesn't it? When they get, when someone gets to this age, it's a, it's just a matter of do you want to stick around for the probably the younger fighters that are coming through to be uh, sort of a bit like a journey guy that uh, you know you can stick a youngster in and he's a great fighter to have for a, a young up and comer, or does he stick around just for some domestic fights? Um, but for, yeah, I mean. It, I think you'd be daft to continue uh, personally, but it's always financial. Look, they need you need money. This is this is it's the hurt game, but it, these guys need to get paid as well. So, you know, I, I'm with you on their lines. For Maxi Hughes, I mean, as you say, he's on this great purple patch and a bit like Connor Ben, really, where they're both on. You know, I know Connor hasn't been. He didn't get beaten. He lost to he drew, didn't he? But then he had he's had some great wins. So. Connor and, and Maxi are two guys where, in particular, you have to say that have really uh, turned their careers around. I mean, Lee Wood's another as well. Um, so, but yeah, Maxi Hughes really impressed with his performance. We sort of felt that he might outbox him. It's just a matter of what Ryan brought, but Maxi performed really well. And and as you say, when you look at that division, I mean, what Javante Davis, uh, Cambosis Jr., uh, Tiafira Lopez, uh, uh, Lamanchenko, Haney. I mean, they're all 
so far ahead of everybody else. Um, there's no point in even going there. The best thing for him would be looking at someone like, I mean, we'll speak about it in a minute, someone like Lemos, uh, who's uh, the Argentinian guy who recently beat Lee Selby. Lee Selby's a potential in there. Miguel Bircher, we'll speak about it in a little while. You know, these kind of guys, they're in the back ends of their careers. I mean, Lemos, obviously not, but he's not that great. Uh, Richard Comney, maybe. So these are the sort of names I think he, he could probably look at for a nice payday. Uh, uh, Patera as well. Um, so there's names in there for Maxi. Uh, he has an IBO title. I know it's the less prestigious of the of all the belts, but look, he's, there's some paydays in there for him and he can uh, look to get himself a bit of money under his in his bag and, and then look to, to sort of an end, to, an end to his career. But it's, it's difficult, isn't it? When you're on this resurgence, it's like you want to target the big names. I mean, if he fights them sort of names and gets through it, then who knows? Maybe he could get one of them big fights and, and then call it a day after that, but he'd get a nice money spinner from it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on then to Ebony Bridges becoming the IBF World Female Bantamweight Champion, beating Maria Cecilia Roman over 10 rounds via unanimous decision to become the champion. In, in a little foul-mouthed rant interview afterwards, of course, it was uh, quite entertaining as always. She <laughs> she is she is that. She is quite a, an entertainer. And I think... Uh, to, to quote a bit of WWE, she's a sports entertainer. That, that's that's exactly what I see Ebony Bridges as in the world of boxing at the moment. However, going to the fight itself, giving her credit where credit is due, I think for the first half of that fight, she showed the improvements that she has learnt under Mark Tibbs. And it was evident that jab was quite key in the first half of that fight for her. However, in the second half of that fight, she started to use her face a lot more. A guard started to drop. She wasn't able to sustain that pace and that jab. And as a result of that, Roman started to show her skill and her experience in the second half of the fight. I think it was a little bit too late by the time Roman managed to get herself back into the fight. But I do think I've got to give a bit of credit to Bridges because she has shown that she has learned something whilst being under Mark Tibbs and she has learned something whilst being in, in this particular fight against Roman. And I think if this was a, a younger version of Roman or someone with a bit more power in the punches, I think Ebony Bridges would have got stopped or or beaten quite convincingly. And, and that's kind of where... It's a bit of a glass half full or half empty situation with her because on one hand, I see that she's made the improvements and it's great to see that and I, I can't fault her for doing that. But on the other, I see someone that could come along and, and, and beat her quite convincingly. And I, I see that's kind of where she sort of sits at the moment. She may have got that title and she may want to look at a, a fight with Shannon Courtney again in the future. But I can see her. I can see her being beaten again, and I'm not sure if she will make any major improvements in her career that will lead her on to, you know, bigger fights in her career. I honestly think this is this is the best she's gonna get. And I might again, I might be eating my words a few months or a few years down the line here, but I genuinely think this is this is the best she's gonna get. You've got to remember, whilst she looks quite young for her age, she's 35. She's not young. She's 35. She's she started this quite late because of other things that she's done outside of boxing. So, really, I don't think she's going to stick around for too long. And I think this is this is a good level to be at, being a world champion. But I think there are other fighters that are going to come along 
and I think she's going to be dethroned. And I think what we're going to see at some point is her being completely outclassed by a completely better boxer. I think she she's caught Roman at the back end of her career. She's made enough improvements to be able to sustain a decent enough pace to, to win most of the rounds in this fight. But you could see at the end of the fight, towards the last four rounds, I think it was evident that a younger version of Roman would have beat her quite convincingly. Yeah, I think you're right. And I do think that if, if Roman had a bit more power, I do think she could have caused her problems. You're absolutely spot on. And, and now for Ebony, I mean, the one thing I'll say is, I mean, yeah, look, let's give her credit. Where credit's due, she she's won a world title. Um, and I think that's that's a great achievement. It was a it was a nice we we said that it was a nice fight for her. And if she could perf- perform to her best ability, which and make improvements, which she did, then she she should win this fight. And she did. But she has now got a bit of a target on her back because she holds a world title. And uh, I'm sure there will be other champions or even even. Sharon Courtney herself may even be thinking, actually, I might have another go and win myself a world title again. I think that that's what, it, but but it, what it does do for her is it gives her another, you know, she can get big fights. Maybe she'll probably have a little fight in between. Maybe she could get like a mandatory or something like that, or, uh, you know, something where she doesn't have to overexceed herself, get a nice defense, and then look to earn some money in a big fight, which I do believe I'm with you. That I, I honestly think that. Although she's made improvements, there she makes significant improvements again. Um, I think she she's got that target at her back, and people will be eyeing up that title. Um, so be interesting. I mean, as you say, we may eat our words a year or so down the line, but I don't think so. I don't think she's going to improve that much to to beat any of the other girls that are, are better than her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another talented fighter on the card was the super lightweight Dalton Smith, and he stopped Ray Moylet in 10 rounds of a schedule 10 via TKO in what was a really good step-up fight for him. I said this in the preview. We agreed it was a good step-up for him. You know, he was going into his 10 professional fight against a guy with a little bit more experience, and he shown in that fight that he needed that step-up. Now, he was deducted two points for a low blow in the seventh round, which I thought was, you know, it's a... It sometimes can be quite difficult. Did it look intentional? Did it not look intentional? I'm sure people have got their own opinion on that. But for me, Dalton Smith managed to beat Ray Moyler into submission, essentially, where Packy Collins, his corner man, brother of Steve Collins, threw in the towel. He'd seen enough. He'd seen him knock him down twice in the 10th round, and he said that was it. It was enough. And it was a really emphatic victory for him, a really good win. And I think this really sort of steps him up now in that super lightweight division, where I, I do believe going forward now in that division, he is he's, he's going to be someone that I think people do avoid in the division. And I look around at the super lightweight division and look at people who are above him at the moment. And you've got the likes of Harlem Eubank, Casey Benjamin, Akeem Ennis Brown, Robbie Davis Jr., Sam Maxwell, Tyrell McKenna, Lewis Ritson, who we'll talk about in a little while, O'Hara Davis. I think you look at them names there and I think he needs to be targeting any one of them names and he needs to be taking over their place in the British rankings. And I think he, he's, he's definitely en route to, to a shot at a title. I think that's where he sits at the moment for me. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. I think he, it's just about now targeting those. I mean, you're going to get the titles going to get fragmented very soon with Josh Taylor, and that gives him an opportunity because if he can, if it, like you know, you mentioned those names there, if he can get any of those guys 
get some more victories, a couple more wins, and then sort of try and move into that European stage. There's no reason why he can't get a title shot very soon. Because, uh, you know, as I say, you can have four world titles in there, probably four different champions. The rankings, it's just a bit easier to get your way on to, into that uh, onto that level, if you like, and, and get in a title shot. So, um, now I know it's a, still a way off for him, but it's, it's a good start for his career. And yeah, easily just, just move your way through the domestic scene and then look European after that. Because, you know, we've got some great guys. You've mentioned some great names in there with Davis Jr. I mean, even Dave, um, uh, Robbie Davis Jr. And then O'Hara Davis and Ritz. And the guys like that. I mean, there's some great fights for the future for him. They're obviously a little bit further ahead. He needs to catch up with those by beating your Harlem. Uh, Banks and people like that. And uh, next thing you know, um, he could well be on a cusp of a world title shot. But great victory and uh, good luck to the guy. So just rounding up the rest of that card, Callum French, Sky Nicholson, Corey O'Regan and Marley Wright all got victories in their respective fights this weekend. So I'm going to jump back a day and we're going to jump back to the Friday's Pro Abellum card, which involved... Again, what we said at the start of the show, another fight of the year contender with Troy Williamson and Mason Cartwright going at it in what was a back and forward, up and down fight, a brilliant fight for the British super welterweight title. Troy Williamson did retain that title on all three judges scorecards one of them being close two of them not being so close something that we'll uh, we'll probably touch a little bit more on about in our three minute moan later on in the show but it was a great fight and a very close fight in my opinion now i didn't score this fight that's the first thing i'll say to to our listeners is i didn't sit there and score it actively and i just i, don't, I just kind of watched it and, and and consumed it and looked at it and thought well, look at them. They're both trading punches. They're both hurting each other. It's really tough. It's really nip and tuck on the inside. They're both landing significant eye-scoring shots. And when I got to the end of the fight, I felt like this could actually go either way here. And I wouldn't begrudge either one of them a victory. I wouldn't have begrudged Troy getting that decision. But I also wouldn't have begrudged Mason actually taking the title off him. Now, Troy got put down in the first round, or second round, sorry. And it was that second round knockdown that for me, turned the tide of the fight a little bit, because once Cartwright had shown, you know, actually I've got a bit of a dig on me here as well, I think that's where he earned the respect of Williamson, and once he earned that respect, that's when it became a better fight, because Williamson had to claw his way back into the fight, and he did really well to do that, and to go on and get that victory, of course, on the on the cards, but he was so nip and tuck, and there was one particular card that I felt like was the most accurate, which was John Latham's at 114, 113, and the other two were quite wide in comparison to how the fight actually went. I'm just wondering what, what your take on the fight was and how you interpreted it without scoring it. Because we don't sit and score most of these fights. I mean, some of the big fights we do. But this one in particular, I didn't sit there and actively start writing scores down. I just kind of consumed it. And I kind of felt like at the end of it, either one of them could have won it. Uh, and, and it could have even gone to a draw. I think there was a little bit of a feeling inside of me that I felt... Wouldn't surprise me if a draw comes here. But then when I seen the cards, and I seen two of the cards, I was like, hang on a minute. That's a bit harsh on Mason Cart right there. But I've got to, I've got to feel for him a little bit. But I've also got to congratulate Troy because I think he got a really good victory. Uh, a really hard-fought victory. And he defended that title successfully. Credit to both men. They put on a great show. They did. And it really is another uh, early set. Uh, uh, 
early uh, pace setter for the fight of the year for me. Mason Cartwright was unexpectedly better than I thought. I thought Troy Williamson would win the fight, and I'm actually quite surprised uh, how, how it all went. To be honest with you, I didn't think it was going to be that close at all. And as you say, Troy Williamson, I think he he, he maybe didn't quite respect Mason Cartwright's power after sort of being with Ted Cheeseman. I think he sort of felt that he's just, you know, I've knocked out Ted kind of thing. And uh, Mason's not really going to put that much of a fight on. And then he got caught with a great, great shot, uh, put him down hard. And he and he really had to fight back. He also... When he was on on really rubbery legs, he was he took another big one, but didn't go down, and he fought on and, and dug in, and then he sort of it, the I mean the the tide changed pretty quickly from that second round, and I'm with you. I think Mason took those next couple of rounds after, and then Troy found his head again, started to box well, um, and then towards the end of the fight, they they sort of both went for broke. I felt that Troy did just nick it. Uh, again, I didn't score it round by round as well, and I wouldn't have been disappointed if Mason got it. To be honest with you, I, I think it was very, very close. And you know, we, we'll have a mention, but he's cut well, one and a couple, both the cards, both the judges' cards, but one in particular afterwards. But look, um, it was a closer fight, and and anyone that hadn't seen the fight would look at the cards and think it was an easy night for Troy. It certainly wasn't, and Mason Cartwright was very unfortunate. I would have. As I say, split decision, Troy Williamson, I think probably would have been the, the better decision. But saying, I mean, this division, it just throws up some absolute belters. I mean, we had a great one last year, didn't we, with, with Troy Williamson and, and Ted Cheeseman. But just going way, way, way back. I mean, we this is the same division where Jamie Moore and Matthew Macklin gave us an absolute belter as well in 2006. I don't know what it is with this division, but um, you're almost guaranteed a fight of the year contender every year. It's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, and you, you're very right in alluding to that particular fight because it was very much like that, barring obviously the the, the major stoppage towards the end of the fight. But yeah. it was a great fight. I get another great fight for British boxing, another great advert for British boxing when it comes down to it. Uh, barring the cards, which we'll mention in the three minute mode, the fight was fantastic, and it was a, it was a great headline event. But what was also surprising to me on this card was the way Lewis Ritson beat Dejan Zlatikhan in over 10 rounds. I mean, he dominated the fight. He dominated that fight. And it was the best I've seen Lewis Ritson for a long time. I feel like the last four or five fights, I've not really felt like... I felt like the beatings were coming with him. I felt like he was going to lose at some point, and he did. But after seeing this against Zlatikhan, I felt like, actually, he's done some work in the gym. He's really knuckled down outside of the ring. And... He, he's beating a guy who's been there at the top level. This is a significant win for his career, and he really needed it as well. And I'm, I'm really glad he got it, because I think he can bring some great nights up there in Newcastle for the fans there, because a lot of fans have drawn to him, but I think a lot of fans have been turned off by him as well, because they've seen him sort of get to this level where they think, actually, yeah, he's going to move on to great things, and he's had them two defeats, and you know it kind of brings the fans back down a little bit and think maybe... Maybe he isn't as good as what we think he is. So they kind of move on to somebody else. And that, that's just natural. You kind of, you move away and you think, hang on, you know, I'm not really interested in looking at this guy now because it's clear that he wasn't all that they were being made out to be. He was just another hype job. But I think this win proves that he isn't just a hype job. And actually, on his day, he's a very good fighter and he will give many fighters a lot of problems. Great win for him. 
Yeah, it really is, and and you're right. I mean, I think the, a lot of the fuss around Ritson was the way he was just bulldozing through fighters, wasn't it? Um, he just the power was just when, when you're knocking guys out for fun, you're gonna get a lot of eyes on you. Um, and he was doing that, and then the the Patera fight didn't go well for him at all. He sort of looked like he was getting back to some sort of well, getting back on 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 the road if you like it i mean the robert davis jr was a great fight and then obviously the vasquez split decision and all of a sudden he's not knocking guys out anymore and and people start wondering actually is it, it is all hype kind of thing but a great polished performance from lewis uh, on um on saturday um that he he had to sh- he's having to show that he can box a little bit. I think that was always the biggest question, but he's shown great desire and he had that the willpower to get that big name and uh, and having the Geordies behind him. He's got a great support. I mean, we talk about Warrington with Leeds. If Ritson can get himself into any sort of title contention and he can have it in St. James's Park, you just imagine the atmosphere. I mean, it's not that far away from him. It's a possibility. Whether he actually goes on to achieve it and win a world title, that's a big ask. But he has the support and he's starting to box a little bit. He does have power, though. He can, you know, he, he, if he can land one, it, I'm telling you, it hurts. You can see from um, many of his fights after, his opponents after. So great win for Lewis. I'm really pleased for him because it takes a lot for a fighter to have those couple of defeats and then regenerate yourself and, and have the desire to actually, and the mindset to get back in the ring and try and go again. And hopefully he can get on a little run and, um, you never know where that might take him. So Thomas Patrick Ward got a victory on points over 10 rounds in the featherweight division. We talked about him needing to step up in the preview episode. And I think when we talked about the featherweight division, we're looking at Warrington versus Lee Wood. And I think Thomas Patrick Ward is another name that should be really floating his name around now. You know, he's 33 fights into his career. He's got one draw and no losses on his record. At this point of your career, you would think that you would be fighting for a world title by now. And I think he should be being pushed forward for that. That's my biggest frustration with him is I hope I'm hoping that, you know, being with the promoter he is with at the moment, that they'll actually push him forward now and they'll get him into contention and, and maybe they'll 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 float that name around some of the names in the world level. And also on this card, Pat McCormack's debut went successful. The Olympic silver medalist got a victory KO by a left hook to the body against Justin Menze on this same card as well. It was great to see Pat McCormack come out and get that victory on there. And another talking point, Johnston, just out of the, the three main other talking points of this card was another Geordie, Joe Laws. Again, guy that has been very vocal, very active, quite entertaining via social media, and he lost on points over six rounds to his journeyman this week. And that, for me, was probably the most shocking incident of that card. If I'm being totally honest with you, I was I was so surprised Joe Laws lost that fight. I really, really was. And I've said to you outside of our conversations on the podcast, like. What's going on with Joe? Is there something going on outside of the ring with him that that's not leaving him fully focused on the sport? Because I think since his first loss, things have just gone downhill. He, he reminds me of Lewis Ritson in in a lot of ways, in the sense that not not so much that he's banging people out, but more so that he's 
got the eyeballs on him quite quickly in his career and people are starting to talk about him being another potential I mean he was who was he calling out was it was it Devin Haney he was calling out at some point down the line because he'd previously yeah. sparred with him and he was calling him out and, and, and there was all this talk about fights uh, earlier on in his career and now all of a sudden he's he's just not performed to the best of his ability now he's lost to a journeyman I think whatever's going on in his life I think things need to be Things need to be sorted outside of the ring before he can really seriously come back and focus. Because he is a talented fighter. I'm not completely slating the guy. He's a talented fighter. Uh, he looked awful. He didn't look himself. And for me, he needs to go away and assess it. So, them three particular fights then. McCormack, Patrick Ward and Joe Laws. What did you make of them three standouts on this? Um, it's great to see Pat McCormack um, out. A professional debut, uh, another Geordie. He's definitely one to look out for. We've watched his amateur career really closely. Uh, so it's nice to see him move over into the pro ranks and he's one to look out for. And, you know, you talk about Joe Laws and all the eyes on him. I think Pat's going to be in that same category um, where a lot of a lot of the Geordies are going to really want him and they're expecting him to do well. So hopefully he can, with that amateur background and experience, hopefully he's able to adjust to the pro game a lot better than what Joe Laws has with uh, that terrible, terrible performance. Uh, I mean, could it be down to the fact that he's just overlooking him? I mean, what is he thinking about calling Devin Haney? Um, that, that is just ludicrous. Um, the guy needs to concentrate on the man in front of him and concentrate on sorting his, sorting his career out because otherwise he's just been, he's just going to be a, it would be a, a journeyman himself if he ain't, we don't watch it so uh not good but yeah good to see pat out and we did speak about thomas patrick world thomas patrick world 32 and i with a one draw hasn't fought anyone let's be honest he's fought nobody is there's nobody on his record that jumps out to me he needs to start fighting and whether it's his team or whether it's uh himself whatever that may be for me it just needs to move on as quick as he can and start um yeah, just just getting some names on his record because otherwise he's just he's just sort of just sort of rolling along. It's almost like he wants to keep that O. Yeah, I, I, I do worry is he one of them fighters just want to keep that zero as long as he possibly can. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know, but it, it just doesn't seem right for me. I think he just needs to be moved on along quicker. I don't, I don't understand it, Sean. I really don't. Well, let's move on then back to Saturday's card and back to the cruiserweight bout between Richard Reactport and Dion Juma, both undefeated fighters. We did say this could be a fight to look out for over the weekend, and it was, and it certainly lived up to its billing. Richard Reactport, as Dean White has called him after the fight, he's called him the UK's version of Deontay Wilder. He's called him the UK's bronze bomber, which I thought was a bit of a bold statement, of course, but, you know, he does deliver. He's undefeated. He's knocking guys out. He's knocking big guys out guys that are usually very durable against other opponents and yet again he's got another victory here where he stopped Dion Jr he had him down in round four and then he KO'd him with a right to the body to finish the fight in round number eight and I thought it was a great performance from Richard sometimes I've been critical of him in the past I've seen him you know look a little bit lazier uh, later on in the fights but I think here he was very switched on very focused throughout the whole of the fight and when he is in that mode, because of the magnitude of the fight, I think it really helped him. And I think maybe he is one of them fighters that, depending upon the opponent, it's motivation maybe, maybe a bit of a motivation issue at times, you know, during fights. But this, this for me, had shown that he was fully focused, switched on, 
he got a great victory. That was a fantastic win for him. And, you know, we said about this cruiserweight division, and, and I've mentioned the light heavyweight division, they are two great domestic divisions we have at the moment. I mean, you know, you look at the guys we've talked about, Chris Billum-Smith, Tommy McCarthy, Jack Massey, who's the IBO champion, you know, Billum-Smith and McCarthy are fighting again in a rematch. So, you know, for, for, for someone like React Poor now, you know, for him, he needs to be fighting world-level fighters. Personally, this is what I think now. He's, he's, I think he's fought the best domestically now. He's fought everybody domestically now. Barring, of course, Lawrence Okolai, who, who's the world champion. I think he needs to be pushing forward and, and fighting guys in the, the top 10. That, that's my personal opinion. When I mean, you've got guys like Shizlak, who obviously recently fought Lawrence Okolai. You've got Mike Perez in the cruiserweight division. You've got Badu Jack still there. Uh, Matinus Masternak in there as well. Dortikos. You know, all these great names in the top 10 of the cruiserweight division. And I honestly think Richard Biakpo needs to be stepped up now for that. Yeah, Richard Riappor, again, uh, another great performance. I mean, he has literally taken on everyone domestically. Yeah, it was a nice, polished performance for him. He was just bigger, stronger, um, and, and, and power showed again for him. And you're right, Sean. I mean, he has domestically, he's pretty much cleaned up. And it is now the next stage for him, which is obviously whether it be European titles potentially, or hopefully, I mean, if he can fight someone in and around. Um, the world stage and, and pushed on for a world title fight. Um, I mean, he's revealed his route as well um, on um, on Sky at the minute, and he's sort of after knocking out Dion, um, and he's he's starting to he's actually eyeing up um, world title honours. Uh, that's what he wants to do. That's his that's his ambition. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, if if that's the case, I'm, I'm good luck to him because I think he could follow suit from from Lawrence when Lawrence does move up because he's pretty obvious he's going to do that. But can he do it? I mean, we'll have to see. I think he's got more than a chance uh, of of doing it. And and credit to Juma as well. I just got a shout out to Juma because he showed a lot of heart getting up from that fourth round knockdown to come back and and manage to hold out until finally getting stopped. But you know, he's still got a lot to offer this division, but Riyadport is on the next stage and I think he's, he's really looking for that world title, so good luck. So Dan Aziz got his victory over late replacement Reese Cartwright, who came in because Matthew Tinker had an issue with his British Boxing Border Control Medical, which meant Reese Cartwright had to step in last minute and Dan Aziz got the victory over eight rounds via TKO. And the light heavyweight division is another division that is absolutely buzzing domestically. We've talked about Craig Richards and Joshua Boatze. We've talked about Lyndon Arthur and Anthony Yard. You know, all, all these guys, I think barring Lyndon Arthur, are all actually in the, the the overall top 10 of the light heavyweight rankings in, in the world. And that just goes to show you that, you know, these, these, this is some serious business going on in here in the UK with both the cruiserweight division and the light heavyweight divisions. But he successfully got that victory. And as we've talked about Reactpo, I think Aziz at, at 16-0 and 0 now, he's, he also needs to move forward in his career. I think he's, you know, he's going to be looking at that fight, as we said in the preview, between Richards and Buazzi and looking at eyeing up the winner, surely. Unless they want to take him a different route that would be the only other alternative is taking him in a different route and maybe looking at a fight in the long term between one of the other British contenders but he is ready he's definitely ready for that big step up I think now for me uh, another another great victory for him over the weekend and Harry Scarf got the victory over Lewis Green to pick up the vacant English welterweight title on the card, which I thought was uh, another great victory as well for him. Chris Congo got a victory over eight rounds. The two Azim brothers that we mentioned got first round stoppages 
in their fight, Adam Azim against Conor Marsden stopped him in the first round, literally, literally, after the opening bell. I mean, that was an absolutely uh, crazy, a cra- <laughs> crazy fight. I mean, I don't even know what the time was on the fight. I can't actually remember off the top of my head. 12 but seconds, I think. Yeah, it was somewhat ridiculous. And I'm like, oh my God, this is this is crazy. Imagine imagine having having these these types of fights constantly where you are blowing them out. The, the two Azim brothers are going to get a name for himself very quickly. Um, and there's always that risk that, you know, like we said with Lewis Ritson, they might come up against somebody that's going to be more durable. But as it stands, they, uh, they are bringing eyeballs to him. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that they are doing that. Uh, Caroline Dubois, Johnson, he obviously got a TKO victory on that card to go 2-0. and And another fighter we've spoke, spoken about who needs to step up, desperately needs to step up, was super welterweight Joe Pigford getting a stoppage in the fourth round of a scheduled six on this particular card. 19-0 and now. Super welterweight division. He needs to step up. Wouldn't surprise me if he fights Troy Williamson next. Troy Williamson would be uh, a good fight. I think he... Pigford needs it. Does Williamson need it? Probably not so much because of where he's at now. But I think if you're Joe Pigford, you're going to be eyeing up that particular fight. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure what the uh, stuttering career is with Joe. If it's just an injury thing. Um, it just he seems like he's going to get active and then he just stops again. Um, but I've, I mean, I've, it feels like he's been around forever, Joe. And I've, I've been keeping an eye, and then he just disappears, and then he comes back. Says, "I'm hoping he can sustain this now." And and maintain a good run and, and get some victories and then as you say move on surely to, to bigger and better things um so yeah i'm glad he got the win i just want him to move on quicker uh caroline dubois happy to see her i thought she looked really good actually i know it was only around but she did really well uh you know you can't knock it i think um she she looked good in there um can she actually do something in this division i mean the women's boxing and we've, we've mentioned it enough it's not very deep she's got more than an opportunity she's got the boxing ability to do it and she's very young so everything obviously is on her side and uh, yeah the one film in the dan aziz fight uh credit to reese cartwright who came back as well i mean that was a late replacement uh reese coming in uh very late in fact um so credit to him i think he, he pretty much fights super middleweight uh, i think it should have been stopped earlier it carried on a little bit too long i mean the commentary mentioned it but dan aziz looked powerful in there too strong for cartwright but credit to reese fighting on i think the corner said to him uh, look you got another round pretty much and early in the eighth it should have been stopped referee allowed it to continue for way too long but in the end a good performance from dan aziz uh, the lewisham boy and, and you know what you're right he's going to be looking at that the big ones uh in the it, coming up the Boatsy fight and the Richards fight, you know any one of those two, they're, they're Londoners as well. It adds a little bit of something to it. One's you know he's from the south, you've got the other from the from the north. Um, it, it gives it a little a little bit of way of dressing up this, these fights. But uh, Dan Aziz, I'm sure he'll be looking for the winner of that. Um, so it'd be interesting, a good good win for him though. So moving over to the USA, we talked about it at the top of the episode as an introduction. Tim Zhu on a coming out pie which we said he needed. He needed a really good fight. He needed it out of his home country. And he did that in America against Terrell Geisha, but not without adversity, might I add. Down in the first round, uh, a great shot from Geisha. Comes, he sort of walked straight onto it, Tim Zoo. And he was down and I was like, wow, okay then. So now we're getting to see what he's really made of against a really good fighter. But he battled back and he was able to get a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Geisha, which I thought... He needed this fight. This is what I always say about fighters at certain stages of the careers. It gets frustrating 
when they don't have these step-up fights, when they don't fight the people they need to fight to move the career on, or you don't get to see how good they really are. This is he needed this. He needed this one. Now, obviously, I know he's beaten Dennis Hogan. He's beaten Jeff Horn. He's beaten Jack Brubaker throughout his career. Now, these are all pretty relatively decent names at that level. But Geisha, for me, was a different level. He was a step up. And for Zoo, he needed to put on a good performance. And he came back from that early knockdown. And he put on a good performance. And he put on a rugged, rough performance. He fights a little bit like his dad, Kostya Zoo. I don't think he, he, he is the same sort of tenaciousness, I think is the word I'm looking for. I don't think he's got the same tenaciousness as, as what his father has. But he's certainly got the boxing ability and the skill. And he can clearly hurt fighters with combinations. I think he, he really is a, a world title contender. I think he should be being pushed forward now. Now, I know obviously he's got this WBO Global Super Welterweight title, which in the grand scheme of things means <laughs> pretty much cock all to us. But it does put him in line to potentially go on to fight the WBO champion in the super welterweight vision. And I think he needs these fights now. He needs these big fights. Let's look at this, quickly look at this super welterweight division at the moment. The two big names in the division are fighting each other again soon. Jamel Charlo and Brias Carlos Castano are fighting again soon. So for me, you know, looking around at that division now, who else does Tim Zhu fight? Does he fight Sebastian Fandora? Does he fight Liam Smith? Does he fight Erickson Lubin? You know, these are the types of names that he needs. Or does he fight Magmedev Kurbanov, who beat Liam Smith? I mean, these these are the types of fights he needs. These are the only other names around him at the moment that I think he needs to be going in with before then he eyes up a fight with Charlo or Castano, whoever the winner may be of that fight. I think he needs to look at them. A Liam Smith fight would be a, a good one because he could come to the UK... And he could get himself travelling yet again. He could show that he's a fighting champion. You know he's not a champion, but if you, you get the sort of the, the sentiment behind it, someone that can go around and fight wherever, he needs that. I think if he comes to the UK and he beat a Liam Smith, who's a former world champion himself, then not only will he have beat Geisha, he'll have beat Smith, he'll have beat Dennis Hogan, he'll have had these victories over Jeff Horn. And I think at that point, for me... I'd be saying, look, he's got to fight the winner of Charlo versus Castano. He's got to. Who else can he fight Who who's significant enough other than the names we've mentioned? There isn't. He's a great name in the division. He needs a big fight. That That's where I sit with it at the moment. He needs a big fight after this. He doesn't. I mean, that is a good performance. We did say, uh, didn't we? We called it early that this would be a, a tough fight against Gosha. And, and Gosha, you know, to his credit, I mean, he, he caught him early. Uh, Zoo got put down and he recovered well and went on to, to win the fight um, pretty convincingly. But I, I do think, again, there's a couple of the scorecards there that um, I think is a lot closer for me. I think Zoo won the fight, but it's a lot closer than some of the scorecards suggested. But that being said, um, I mean, even looking at the Charlo Castano fight, I think I do think honestly, unless it's a draw again, um, I do think Charlo will move up. I think it's, it's almost a bit like um, the situation with Josh Taylor, where you know Josh is gonna gonna move up after his after his fight um, with Catrell, um, and that's happening. And I think Charlo will be the same. Not too not too sure about Castano. If Castano wins it, but Charlo will definitely move up. Um, so there is a big chance that these again these titles could uh become fragmented again uh so tim zoo surely will be keeping his eyes on that because he's going to have an opportunity sitting quite high and a lot across most of the rankings i'm sure he'll probably get 
uh, he'd be one of the top contenders. And if he could probably choose what route, whatever title suits him best. Um, and, you know, looking at guys like Lubin, uh, I think Lubin would be a good fight because I, I do think he's a bit chinny. And I think Kosuzu could get quite a stunning, spectacular knockout against Lubin. No disrespect to him, but I do think he's he's a bit like a Khan, that one. He reminds me a bit like Khan. And Fondora, obviously, he's a tall guy, isn't he? He's really Sebastian uh, Fondora. These fellas are going to be the ones on, on in the line. I mean, I think that's probably what Liam Smith is hoping for as well. Potentially, for him, he could... Uh, be one of those guys. I mean, you could absolutely right. I mean, you could after. I mean, he has to get through Jesse Vargas obviously first. But if he can do that, Liam Smith puts himself in in high contention. Everyone's going to be watching that that Charlo Castano fight because I do think we're going to have a situation where these titles are going to get split up again, um, and you're going to have all these guys rummaging for to, just to get a high ranking, and and then they, they can seize the opportunity. But Tim Zhu, um, yeah. I, I, Perfect, perfect fight for him. It's all about getting knocked down and getting back up again and then going on to win the fight. That you will learn a lot more than than just blitzing some random fella out. So uh, really pleased for him and a good performance. So just two more bits of action from over the weekend before we go into our three-minute moan for the end of our episode. Miguel Pichel moving up to lightweight and got in absolutely battered against Jeremiah Nakathila this weekend, just gone. Very surprised with that, to be honest with you. I caught the highlights of the fight the following morning, and I was very surprised to see him getting battered from pillar to post. And we've spoke about this off the air, and we, we, you, the first thing you said to me, Johnson, was, he's been in too many wars, and it's, it's taken its toll <laughs> on him. And that's certainly, to me, what it felt like happened on Saturday night early. I was a Sunday morning with him. It felt like he'd been in too many wars, and I think it's shown that, I think... Maybe that step up wasn't what he needed in his career, or maybe he's just he's just too too past, you know, the amount of wars he's been involved in. He's only thirty, that's the thing. You forget he is only thirty years old. But he's he's had over forty fights throughout his career and some of them have been absolute wars. And yeah, okay, I know he's stopped a lot of opponents throughout his career, and that was one of the, the reasons why we kind of felt like he maybe was an avoided fighter. He stopped thirty four fighters throughout his career, which is, you know, a lot. He's got a really good KO ratio, but against Nakathila, he was down in, in round three and and he got retired in round six and I was just like well yeah I think he he wouldn't surprise me if he would have been stopped sooner to be honest because he was getting pummeled from pillar to post he he, he he was completely outclassed that was it for me he was completely outclassed and I just don't know where he goes now does he drop back down to super featherweight again or does he stay at lightweight and give it another go I mean it remains to be seen what happens to him next, but it was probably the, the shock of the weekend for me more than anything was Bichel getting beaten. Uh, and then the final bit of news was the Eric Morales comeback against Orlando Salido, which wasn't a comeback per se. We didn't really know too much about the context behind that fight on our preview because, you know, it was just something we picked up on at the last minute before we started recording. And we realised now in hindsight, it was actually an exhibition bout and, you know, the two of them going at it you know, you can see the pictures. I've not watched any footage of it. I can see the pictures online. I can see the report on it. And I said to you, Johnston, it just felt like a uh, a white collar fight that you see here in the UK, and you see them sort of charity event shows. And I know this was for charity, but it sort of 
<laughs> it fell into that stereotype for me of two obviously guys with names in their respective careers that were able to come out and put on a little bit of a show for for people who were who were willing to donate to charity and it was all for a good cause morales isn't coming back salido isn't coming back to the game but it was kind of nice just to sort of you know see these guys in action maybe just one more time knowing that you know it wasn't a long-term thing it wasn't like they were coming back permanently but it was just kind of nice to see them again way past the best of course way gone are the days of the Barrera Morales trilogies or and anything like that but it was just nice to to see him back and it was nice to see him doing something good for charity over over the weekend just gone so that's everything I mean we've touched on all the major fights from over the weekend touched on a few of the undercard fights over the weekend but it's now time for the three minute moan this moment gives us the opportunity to moan about some of the shit that's gone on in the sport either over the past week or past weekend and what better place to start johnston than with troy williamson and mason cartwright's scorecards two of them scorecards in fact were for me yet again a bad representation of the british boxing border control because they were really wide we talked about how much of this fight was a very close fight this weekend and all the controversy that surrounded the border control because of the Taylor Catchwell fight over the past few weeks and then you get two of the judges yet again who give these scorecards for what was a very, very close fight but yet they give it five, six rounds to Troy Williamson which I thought was really poor and again a bad representation of the border control. That's my biggest gripe of the week and that's my three minute moan is is them cards yet again just creeping up and essentially spoiling what was a fight of the year contender. Yes, um, I'm with you mate. Um, it was a fight of the year contender. It was a lot closer than um, the, than the, the judges have scored the fight. I mean, what? up 117 112 i'm sorry but that is no way a 117 112 at all i mean the one good thing was was that it could have gone either way so there wasn't a massive uproar if it would have been mason cartwright won this fight and then he lost it 117 112 everybody would have been making a big hoo-ha about it the 114 113 fine but even the 116 111 from phil edwards is pretty poor um I, I, i'm sorry but there's no way that you could go round or two either way. Other than that, how are you scoring it four or five rounds to someone else? It's just, uh, it's beyond me. I mean, the same happened in America as well with Bill Lurch, 116-111 in favour of uh, Tim Zhu. Not for me, well off. Um, Again, it's not just over here. That's the point I'm trying to make. I I didn't like that scorecard just as much as Terry O'Connor's and um and phil edwards um so yeah really disappointed with that i think the one other thing um that i would like to moan about was uh the uh talk sport um i don't know if you ever heard about it, but it, the frank warren interview <laughs> on talk sport where he was talking with um the trainer uh, the, sorry the lawyer of um uh uh, uh dillian white uh, so dillian white's lawyer Went on the sh- went on Talksport with Frank Warren, and they basically just aired their do- dirty laundry on Talksport last Friday. It was embarrassing. I mean, we haven't heard anything from uh, Tyson Fury or Dillian White having a go at each other. I know T- Dillian White is sort of backed away from social media, but Frank Warren having this rare in front of millions of people across YouTube, social network and radio stations was, was embarrassing from Frank. I'm sorry. Um, 
got no time for it. And he's throwing his toys out of his pram because Dillian White is not promoting, which he said is in the contract. He should be doing some sort of social media stuff. I loving it. I absolutely love the fact that Dillian White is rubbing Frank Warren and Bob Arum up the wrong way. And I hope he continues to do it. If he gets a little fine for not promoting as much, so bloody be it. Um, he's, he's lawyer, though. He's an absolute tit as well, to be honest with you. So if anyone hasn't listened to it, go and have a listen back to TalkSport Friday on the Jim White show um, and uh, and Jordan show. It is embarrassing. It really is. It just sounds like a couple of old birds having a rare over who nicked their parking space. It was absolutely <laughs> poor. Oh, that is, a, that is a great British stereotypical argument. Who nicked the parking space? <laughs> or who parks in front of your driveway? That is certainly a good comparison to make there between them two. The one the one point I'd like to add to that, just before we come to an end of the episode and our three-minute moan, is that I have seen interviews with Dean White with my friends over at ESBR, who I used to work with, and they've interviewed Dean White, and he's basically touched on the fact that Frank Warren has actually been quite disrespectful to Dillian, hence why he decided not to turn up for the press conference. Apparently, the reason for it was that, you know, he's he's the B-side in this fight. We understand that, right? Okay. But most fighters, whether it's Eddie Hearn or Bob Arum, who, who've got their opposing fighters coming to fight their guy, usually treat them with a lot of respect in the sense that they give them decent hotels, they put them on decent flights. Basically, what Dean White was saying is that they weren't even giving him, they were giving him like an an economy class fight. They weren't even putting him in like the sort of first class. They're expecting to be treated better than what they are is what they're saying. And Dillian didn't take too well to that. And they decided as a a team, as a unit, that they're not going to put up with that type of shit. Yeah, they're the B side to this. They understand that. But at the end of the day, Tyson Fury needs a dance partner and... The promotional side of it needs to, need to be treating him just as well as, say, other promoters treat the other away fighters coming in for the big fights. And that, that was essentially what it boils down to. And Dillian White, I think, holds a lot of cards to how this all plays out over the next few weeks. We've only got about four weeks till this particular fight comes, comes of age for us. And yeah, you're right, we've not really seen a lot of things going on with it. And we're not really seeing a lot of social promoting from anybody. But it is the biggest British heavyweight fight for a long time. Let's be honest, it is. And yet, we're four weeks away and and we're not really talking about it yet. And that is disappointing because, you know, when's the next time we're going to see this happen? Possibly Joshua versus Fury. Possibly. But even if that was to ever happen, or even Joshua Usyk, or even, you know, Fury versus Usyk, it's probably not even going to happen over here. The likelihood is it'll probably go to Saudi Arabia where the money is. So this might be the last time we get to see this happen in the UK at Wembley Stadium. So surely this should be kicking up and and screaming on social media about this fight, bringing all the hype to it, and nobody is. And I can kind of understand both sides of the argument here. But, yeah, if you want some entertainment, please do go listen to that that broadcast on TalkSport from last Friday, because it's hilarious. It is like two... Old, it's not even just two men. It's like two old women <laughs> fighting over a car parking spot or two old women fighting over the their seat in the bingo hall. It's absolutely ridiculous. Honestly, it's, it's hilarious. And that that's it for us. That's our three-minute moan. And also, most importantly, it's the end of this particular big fight reaction to Josh Warrington's victory over Kiko Martinez. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the episode. And if you have 
please do let us know on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. If you've not subscribed to us, you can do so by finding us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or any available podcasting app out there. One final shout out for this episode is to our patrons of the podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for supporting us. And if you're not a patron of the podcast, please do go on and check out patreon.com forward slash BTR Boxing Podcast Network because we have tiers there that show you what we can deliver to you as a patron, as a member to BTR Boxing Podcast Network, whether it just be ad-free episodes where you don't have to listen to the those annoying ads that come in there or whether it's, you know, you want early access to the episode or you just want content that's not been released to the general public. Go and check it out. See if you can subscribe to us. See if you can provide that extra support to us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll be back soon with another big fight preview for another big fight coming up very shortly. Podcast Network.